Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, through many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It is not for the reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it, but, but as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. You may be seated. If you want to flip to Esther chapter 4, that's where we'll be heading next. It's uh, my favorite time of the year. Uh, it's football season. This is the last Sunday until February that there won't be, or that, uh, there won't be a football game on. I mean, it's, it's time for the football, the old pigskin to come out and be thrown. And uh, I, uh, as you can tell, I'm not a very athletic person. Uh, my sport when I was a child was marching band. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've always been enamored with football. And uh, in any sport that you play, if you play uh, baseball or softball or volleyball, if you played soccer, if you played football, it really you could relate to what I'm going to talk about today. But because my experience my passion lies with football. That's where most of my uh, knowledge comes from, and most of my analogies will come from today. But uh, Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the body of Christ is one body, but it is many members. And just like the body, each member has a function. Your eyes see, your nose smell, your ears hear. Right? Your fingers touch. You're able to grasp. Your body has all of these different members with different purposes. And if the, it says if the eye decided or the ear decided he just wasn't going to work anymore, well then how would the body hear? If the eye decided he just wasn't going to work anymore, how would the body see? Right? If the members just decide to quit working in the body, then the body ceases to function. And the body of Christ, he says, are many members, too. Each with a purpose. Each with that God has a plan for their life. And just like a sports team, a football team, every one of those members has to work together to achieve ultimate victory, to achieve the purpose that the body has. This church has a vision. This church has a purpose. This is a body, a member of the body of Christ. And within this body, you are all members. And you all have a 
has for me to do. And on a sports team, you have all of these different positions. In the case of football, you have linemen on the offense. You have, a, you have tight ends. You have a right guard, a tackle guard, or a right, a right guard and a left guard, a right tackle, a left tackle. Right? You've got your receivers, you've got your tailback, you've got your fullback, you've got your cornerback. You have all of these different positions. There are 53 men on a final football roster. 53. Only 11 of them are on the field at any given time. Right? Only 11 at any given time, whether it's offense, defense, or special teams. But each one of these people, they have a job to fill, to fulfill. Right? Now, if you watch football, you're familiar with football, you know the offensive linemen, they're not the ones that get to celebrate often in the end zone. Right? The running back, the receivers, the quarterback, those guys, they're the ones that are often scoring the points, getting the touchdowns, doing the awesome things, but the linemen don't get much praise. They don't make as much as those other skill positions make. But here's the thing, if the linemen quit doing their job, it doesn't matter how good the receivers and the quarterback and the running back are, they will fail. Right? So if the linemen all decided on a play they weren't going to block, they weren't going to do their job and execute the play is guaranteed to fail no matter how skilled the other players on the team are. Same thing applies to defense. You have your defensive ends, uh, depending on a 3-4 or 4-3 defense, but you've got your positions. You've got your middle linebacker. He's usually the leader of the defense. You've got your cornerbacks, your safeties, your free safety. You've got your, your defensive line. You've got your linebackers. All of these uh, positions. Sometimes the defensive line guys don't get a lot of credit, especially there's a guy called a nose tackle in a 3-4 defense. The nose tackle is usually a big old dude, and his job is to line up over the center. He doesn't get a lot of praise because he has one function, occupy space. His job is to occupy the front so that the linebackers can make their way through, make tackles, or sack the quarterback. That's what his job is. It's, all right? He has a function. He doesn't get a lot of praise. He doesn't get to do a lot of the really cool things like sack the quarterback and all of those things, cause fumble. But he's necessary. If he doesn't do his job, the linebackers can't get in to make the tackle. The lanes aren't open up so they can do their jobs. Right? They each have a function and they each have to perform their function to be able for the team to be successful. You have a job to do in the kingdom of God. I have a job to do in the kingdom of God. My job may not be as flashy as your job. My job may be behind the scenes. My job may not be, uh, you know, like your job. But your job and my job are all important in accomplishing the purpose that the kingdom has for the body of Christ. We cannot be successful as a church if everyone is not performing their role. Amen. Right? It's not just me. It's not just each one of you. It is all of us together. We have a role to fill as part of the 
this body. And if we do not fulfill that role, the body cannot be successful. That brings me to the book of Esther. You say, how in the world are you getting from there to there? Well, we'll try to, try to make the bridge here. A quarterback has a responsibility on the field. He, his job is to read the defense. All right? And he, uh, based on what he sees, he can make audibles, change the play, right? He can do what's called a motion. By, if you see, if you're watching football and the quarterback steps back a couple times or does all these crazy things, he's organizing the offense because he sees something in the defense that the other guys aren't seeing. All right? He figured out something's coming that they weren't prepared for. And so it's his job to tell the offense, be prepared, this is getting ready to happen. And so what they'll do is they'll motion for a receiver sometimes to go to the other side to create a mismatch so that that receiver can get open. They'll move a tail back in to do blocking. They'll do all kinds of things. What's the point? The point is to get that position and the, that player in the best position to make the most impact. Right? The point is to get the player in the best position to make the most impact. All right? God puts you and I and orchestrates things in our lives to put us in the best position to make the most impact with the talents and the gifts that he's given us. Amen. No better is this better represented than in the book of Esther. Esther chapter 4. Look with me now to verse 13. Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows, perhaps you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. Just for a quick refresh about Esther. Uh, Esther was a Jew. Now, I want you to look at God's hand. Esther was a Jew, and her parents passed away. She was adopted by her uncle Mordecai. Now, God, he is the one who's seeing everything unfold. It's already his plan. He already knows the opposition of the enemy. He already knows what Haman is going to do, which we're going to talk about in a minute. He already knows. Right now, God is playing defense against Haman, who we're going to talk about, his offense, the enemy's offense. In a moment, he's going to switch from defense to offense. But God has to put all of the pieces in place so that his will can be accomplished. So what does he do? Esther's parents die. She's adopted by her uncle Mordecai. You think, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, you're going to know why that's important in just a minute. Esther then is seen as beautiful by the king at that time. Uh, he had, uh, for not going into all the details, he had lost his first wife. It was his own, he had put her aside, uh, got rid of her. Not going to go into that, it's not important right now in chapter one. In chapter two, he's getting lonely, right? And so he says, I need to find a wife. And his, his, his wives been tell him, his, his, his people who counsel him, Say, let's go and get all the young women. Let's bring them together, the most beautiful women, and let's let you find a wife, a new queen. And so what would happen is, 
is that they would bring all these women together and they would go through literally a year of preparation before they would meet the king. Six months of one type of treatment and six months of another type of treatment. You can read this in the book of Esther. To get them prepared, they had to have a special diet, special skin treatments, all kinds of crazy things for a year to meet the king. Well, when the Esther was brought before the eunuchs, the servants of the king, to identify these women, the eunuch saw Esther and said something special about her. She's beautiful. She's prettier than all these other ladies. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to fast track her through the process. You see God beginning to orchestrate a plan. Esther had a purpose, even though she did not know what the purpose was. She was being round up to be uh, like cattle to be viewed as maybe a possible you know, queen for the king, she had no idea. But God was, he was, he was orchestrating the pieces, moving the pieces around in the puzzle so that he could complete the picture. So he, she, she gets fast-tracked. When she is fast-tracked, because of her humility, because of who she was, because of how God had gifted her, when it came time for her to go before the king, each, uh, each young lady was given permission to take whatever she wanted from the harem to the king, and it was hers to keep, right? So they could, that was kind of their uh, 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 compensation, okay? When it came time for Esther to go, instead of being greedy and taking all of this stuff, Esther only took what the king's servant suggested that she take, which was the very minimal. So now we're seeing that not her, not her fault her parents died, not her fault she's adopted, adopted by her uncle Mordecai, not her fault that she's gathered up because she's pretty, right? Those aren't her fault. But then all of a sudden she's given favor, and when it comes time to make her first decision because of who she is as a person, what God had gifted her with as a person, she decides not to be greedy and selfish. She goes with a minimum. You think that isn't important, but when she goes before the king, the king sees how beautiful she is, and he sees her uh, humility and her lack of greed, and she's not like all the other women. He immediately falls in love with her, and he sets her up as queen. See, what God is doing as the quarterback is he's taking Esther from here, and he's moving her over here because he's got a play for her to run, Amen. a purpose for her to accomplish. He's got a job for her to do to ultimately end in victory. Because what happens? As queen, Mordecai, he hears at the gate a, assass, a plot to assassinate the king. Mordecai reports to Queen Esther. Queen Esther goes to the king and says, King, these two guys are going to kill you. And it was revealed to my, you know, this man Mordecai, my uncle Mordecai, uh, that these two guys are going to kill you. So the king got them and they investigated. They found out that it was true. They had, had them uh, executed, right? The Bible says that Mordecai's name was then written in the annual of the king. His name and what he'd done. The book was closed and he was forgotten about. He was not honored. He was not praised. He was not given any gifts. It was, his name was written in this book, and the book was closed. I hope I'm not boring you too much. So anyway, God is orchestrating. Mordecai now has done something that was the right thing. They were going to assassinate the king. He reports on it, but he's not rewarded. He's not 
honor, none of those things. Now Esther, if time passes by, this guy Haman shows up. Now Haman was a descendant of the Amicalites, and I won't go into all the story and bore you to death. Let's just say this, Amicalites hated the Jews because Saul actually defeated the Amicalites, all right? So this guy Haman hated Jews, and he had been promoted to second place to the king. There was no one greater than him than the king, and he got mad that Mordecai would not bow down and honor him. Mordecai was like, look, dude, I ain't honoring you. You're mean, you're hateful, you're greedy. I'm not, I'm not honoring you. So Mordecai refused to bow. Well, Haman didn't like that, so he got mad. And what he did was he got the king to sign a decree uh, to execute the Jews. Now, while the way that he came up with a plan to execute the Jews, or to, to, when to actually do it, was he cast lots. He essentially rolled dice. And the dice said, all right, on this day of this month, the Jews are to be executed by rolling dice. It lets you know that even though the devil rolls the dice, God still controls how the dice land. Right? Because he had a plan, he rolled the dice, but look at how this turns out as God's orchestrating everything. Right now, Haman is on offense. He's going to have all the Jews killed on this month, on this day. And they send out letters to all of the providences and all the leaders and all the cities that de decree that this is going to happen. So the Jews are scared to death. Mordecai learns of it. He tears his clothing and he puts on sackcloth and he goes to the gate and he's weeping and he's crying and all the Jews are mourning. And Esther hears about it. So she has someone go to him and bring him clothes. And Mordecai says, I'm not putting on clothes. This is what's happening. Esther didn't know what Haman had done. Mordecai reveals to Esther that Haman is going to have them all killed. And so Mordecai says to Esther, you've got to do something. You have got to act in the position that you're in. And Esther, out of fear, says to Mordecai, Mordecai, I can't go before the king unless he summons me. If I go before the king and he hasn't summoned me and he decides not to extend the golden scepter to me, I'll be executed immediately. So her life was in danger. She went before the king without permission and he did not allow her or accept her with the extended extension of the golden rod. She would be executed. She was afraid. She hadn't, the king had not called for her in 30 days. That's important to know. So she had not seen or talked to the king for 30 days, and now Mordecai was instructing her to go to the king without being called. She sends back to Mordecai to say, I'm afraid I can't do this, and this is why. That's where we get to verse 13 and 14, where Mordecai says, listen, you can choose to not do anything and be saved, but ultimately, God will deliver Israel anyway, he just won't use you. Right? In our lives, how many times has God set us up to use us, put us in the position to use our gifts, our talent, our abilities? He's placed us where he wants us to be, yet we get afraid or for whatever reason, and we refuse to move and act. And we refuse to walk in the purpose that he has for you and I to walk in, and we become discouraged and angry and bitter and frustrated because we're not 
fulfilling the purpose that God has for us to fulfill. And Mordecai said to Esther through the servant, who knows that you were placed in the palace be, for right now, for this purpose, because of this situation. God was orchestrating from the beginning to get Esther in the palace so that she could intervene on behalf of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, so that they would not be eradicated, that they would not be destroyed. God was putting the pieces together. You are not where you're at by accident. Amen. If you are a child of God, you are not where you're at by accident. God has put you where you're at for a reason. God has gifted you with the abilities that he's given you for a reason. He has a purpose for you, and we must in faith step out and walk in that purpose even if we are afraid. Amen. If a player on a team refuses to do their job, what happens? They are pulled out, and someone who's willing to work is put in. Remember this, none of us are irreplaceable. It is an act of God's grace and mercy that he allows us to serve him. I didn't earn it, I don't deserve it, it's because he loves me and his grace that he gives me the opportunity to preach the gospel. He gives you the opportunity to sing, he gives you the opportunity to lead, he gives you the opportunity to do these things, not because of who I am or who you are, but because of who he is. Esther got put in this position because God was orchestrating for her to be used by him to accomplish his purpose. She didn't earn it. She didn't deserve it. It all happened by his sovereign hand where he used her to protect the Jewish people. God has a purpose for us and we must walk in that purpose and not be afraid not be distracted, not allow our attention to be carried all over the place by worldly things and circumstances and fear and doubt and, and anxiety and worry and all of these things that vie for our attention. But we have to be bold and step out and walk in the path that God has for us. Because if I don't do it, and you won't do it, he'll find somebody else. Amen. And you are not where you're at by accident. God has placed you as a part of this body for a reason. I don't know what's happening, what the future holds. All I know is this, God laid this on my heart, that each of us may pl must play our position. Each of us must play the position that God has designed and purposed for us to play. If we don't play our position, then we will not be successful as a body. He's given us each talents and gifts and abilities to play that position, but it's time for us to get off our chairs and play the position. And when you play high school sports, you play, you play sports of any kind, everyone wants to be a starter, right? Your goal is to be a starter. Nobody wants to be a backup. 
You want to start. You want to be on the field and play. Christians must be the only people in this world who are happy being backups. Who are happy sitting on the pew, on the bench, and watching the others work and do for work for the kingdom. We're comfortable sitting there getting splinters in our butts, watching the real people work. Right? Watching the starters perform. In football and in sports, whatever it is, you want to be on the field. As a Christian, you should want to be on the field. Play for the kingdom. Say, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. Fight for it. Fight for God. Fulfill your role. Amen. Fight and serve the kingdom. Yes. Don't be content sitting on a pew watching everybody else work. We have to be willing to fulfill the position that God has placed us in. We've got to do our jobs. Just because you're volunteer does not mean we don't have responsibilities in the kingdom. I'm volunteer. I have responsibilities in the kingdom. I know people that are refusing to do ministry because... They want to get paid. Here's the thing. I just want to serve God. Amen. Someone, listen. When I was a kid, I loved football so much. And even though my mom would not allow me to play on a team because uh, of church and practices back then were always seemed to be on Wednesday nights and the games were always on Sundays. Mom would not allow me to participate. But I love football so much that we get 20 or so guys and we would go and I would play football three or four times a week in the field behind our house. Why? Because I wanted to be on the field to play. So I made a way to play. Oh, I could have sat in the house and played video games and felt sorry for myself. Well, mama won't let me do this. Mama won't let me do that. But what did I do? Because I wanted to play so bad, I found a way to play. As a Christian, if you want to serve God, you will find a way to serve God. You'll want to be involved. You'll want to be on the field. You'll want to play. And even though you may not get to play in the NFL or the big leagues, you'll still be playing in the backyard, field at home, impacting the lives of people. Amen. Amen. Uh, My name may never be on TV, and I may never have my name in lights, but I know this much. I've played on the field in my backyard, preaching my heart out every single Sunday. chapter 5, beginning with verse 13, you are the salt of the earth but the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. 
if we're Christians, but we're not, our lights are not shining, what purpose do we serve? A light in a room with the door closed and no one in it provides no value but running up your electricity bill. I have to fuss all the time. In fact, Kelly and I had a little back and forth the other day because she left all the lights on in the kitchen and in the family room when she went upstairs to go to bed. And I fussed her and I said, you act like you don't pay the electric bill, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, but turn the lights off. Why? Because if no one's in the room and the lights are on, no one's benefiting. As Christians, we cannot shut ourselves behind doors so that our light does not shine outside of our little room. But our light must shine to the whole world. Why? So that our good works would be seen and people would be turned to Christ. Amen. That's right. That's what we're supposed to do. You have a purpose and I have a purpose to reach people for the kingdom of God. To see souls saved. To tell them about the love of Christ. To tell them that if it wasn't for Christ, this is where I'd be. I was here, but because of God's grace and mercy, I'm now here, and I have a better future, and I have a new hope. Amen. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. Pick up your light and go play the game. The time for sitting still the time for making excuses, the time for having apathy rule our lives is over, folks. Amen. It's time to take the gospel to this lost and dying world. Amen. It's time to get on the field and start playing our position. I can't do it alone. Kelly can't do it alone. Kim can't do it alone. Nancy can't do it alone. You know, you can't do it alone. We all have to do it together. Mm -hmm. And if the church, the body of Christ, would all get in sync and start working together, this world would be forever changed. Mm -hmm. But I'm not even asking for that miracle. The miracle I'm asking for is right here, right now, in this building. Let us get on the same page. Let us desperately search and do an introspection on what God has for us to do. Let us not be content to make excuses as to why we can't, but let's find reasons for why we can't. Amen. I can make excuses every Sunday why I don't need to be up here. I have having one I'm having rough weeks at work just like you are. You can find excuses. Right? We can find excuses. But the key is is you find not excuses, you find reasons to be uh, to, to serve God, to honor him. Right? I had a band director years ago. And even if we had a legitimate excuse, you know, if something happened while we were a marching band, if something happened, someone got hurt or, or something, someone didn't get in the right spot, so it messed everybody else up, whatever the case may be, and we would complain about it and say, so-and-so messed up, or this happened. He would always say to us, 
if you need an excuse, you got one. And it irritated me so much, right? It wasn't my fault it got messed up. This guy wasn't where he was supposed to be. Or this guy didn't play his part. He didn't do what, right? She didn't do what she was supposed to do. What he taught me, though, is that I can always find an excuse not to do what I don't want to do. I can always find an excuse to not be where I'm supposed to be. I can always find an excuse to not walk in the path that God has for me to walk. I can use work as an excuse. I can use a bad life as an excuse. I can use my past as an excuse. I can use my present as an excuse. I can use my circumstances as an excuse. I can find all kinds of excuses. God isn't looking for people to make excuses. He's looking for people to find reasons to serve him. And the greatest reason I have to serve him is that Jesus Christ came. He gave his life and he rose again. I don't deserve his love or his grace or his mercy. I don't deserve his faithfulness. I don't deserve his protection. I don't deserve his blessings. Yet he has given all those things freely. So if he never does another thing for me for the rest of my life till I draw my last breath, he still deserves to be worshipped and honored and praised and he deserves my devotion and service. Amen. Let's come together. Let's make a decision to play our position. Amen. Right? I'll give you 120% if you'll promise to give me your 100%. Right? Let's work together. Let's serve together. Let's impact together. Let's make a difference together. That means that when there's an event, there's a Bible study, instead of finding an excuse not to be there, be there. Right? That means when there's something happening, instead of looking for a reason not to be there, find a reason to be there. Right? It means being uncomfortable for a moment to accomplish what God has for us. That's what it's all about. Being salt and light in the world. And if we're not salty and we're not producing light, then what good are we? Look at your life right now, no matter what it is, no matter what's going on, no matter how it seems to be in a shambles. Know that God is in control and he is, uh, you know, maybe allowing these circumstances so that he can put you where you need to be so you can accomplish his purpose. So in case you're interested, Esther fasted. She went before the king. She took the step. She had the courage. She risked her life. She interceded. And she saved her people. She stepped out and risked her life. God put her in a position. He put her where she could make the most impact. And because she was willing to step out, she saved her people. If you've been waiting 
for whatever reason, whatever's kept you from committing 100% to being in God's house, to serving God with all that's in you, I challenge you today to confess that and do everything to call upon him, to ask him for the strength, to ask God for the strength to step out and walk in the purpose that he has for you to walk in. To not be afraid, to not be apathetic any longer, but to take that first step of courage, that first step to walk in the purpose he has for you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach the loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.